0: Thanks for tuning in to the Meditation Conversation. Hop on over to Karagoodwin.com. You can get a free 10-minute guided meditation right on the homepage to help you experience deep levels of peace. I also have lots of resources to learn meditation and to support your practice. And of course, by supporting those services, you are supporting my work, including the production of this very podcast to assist more souls on their path to awakening. Thank you for your support, and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and I'm so excited today to be joined by Timothy Stutz. Timothy is a magical kids' book creator, and he's written more children's stories than anyone alive. He has over 86 to date with more coming. He's a certified self-esteem coach for children. He's also a master of ancient arts and sacred sciences, including multiple forms of meditation, qigong, tai chi, yoga, reiki, and quantum energetics, which he's been using to help thousands of people to leap over some of life's most difficult challenges to achieve their full potential. And before all of this, He was a certified public accountant, obviously, (laughs) as most quantum energetic practitioners are. Uh, So welcome, Timothy. It's such a joy to have you here today.
1: Oh, it's so wonderful to be with you, Kara.
0: So it's amazing that you've created over 80 children's books. Actually, you're coming up to 90 children's books. Um, and you started as a CPA so how did you cross over from this really pl- practical field of accounting to a children's author and a quantum energetics practitioner
1: yes there were several several steps in between um i i kind of knew when the cpa gig was <laughs> was up um I, I really got an internal message that what I was doing, I needed to stop. And then I went back into it because of financial needs. And God showed me very quickly that that wasn't the avenue to take. As within two weeks of being back into that, I had a gun at my chest and
0: what? Um,
1: being threatened. Yes, I, I had. I took a job, and literally within two weeks, found out that the uh, people that hired me and their accountants and attorneys were in collusion to embezzle about 9 million dollars from people.
0: Oh my goodness. So wow.
1: <laughs> so anyway, that that kind of gave me the message that I was not for that world anymore. Yeah. And at the time I had also started to meditate and meditation also led me into Reiki. and so that that was my transition
0: okay. and And when about in your life was this? like how long were you an accountant before you started to transition?
1: Oh, about five to six years in various aspects of it, okay. and i I discovered. Reiki, literally, because I was taking classes from this amazing psychologist that also tuned into our inner self. And he brought me a flyer one class and said, you might like to take this class from this nurse. And she was teaching hands-on healing. And she had discovered herself that when she was working with her patients, her patients seemed to get better than the other nurses because she did laying on of hands also which is something that nurses, I mean, that's the history of nursing, is laying on of hands. Wow. So I, I took a class from her and she showed us various things. One was a technique to put your hands on people's heads and clear up headaches and it worked. And that's the only thing I really used from her class. And at one point, I had a dream one night and I was standing next to this bean and we were watching somebody lay on a massage table and there were a couple of people around the table. And this bean standing next to me says, you know how to do a healing with your hands that's not widely known right now. And it definitely wasn't known to me. <laughs> so wow. um, not short, not too long after that, I had a friend come to town and we went out to dinner and he said his back hurt. So. I hadn't worked on backs. I'd only worked on heads, but we went up to his room after dinner and I asked him if I could put my hands on him. And he said, yes. And I went into the restroom and when I came out, he was laying down and I expected him to be sitting in a chair, but I just went with the flow and I put my hands on his back. And the minute, the, the moment I did, it's like the top of my head opened up and a rush of energy just came down through the top of my head into my hands and I'd never felt anything like that before. And so then I remembered that dream and in the dream I was shown that one person was holding the feet of the person on the table. So just because I saw it in the dream, I went down and held his feet. And again, that same energy went into the top of my head and threw me and into him. And it was maybe two months after that, my body started to shut down, and I knew I needed some form of body work. So I started to look for massage therapists, and I'd never had a massage. I'm in my 30s. I've never had a massage in my life. And I wasn't going to get one either. Again, the universe conspired to make sure I <laughs> didn't get a massage. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. But I had breakfast every morning every once a week with a bunch of guys. And we had breakfast one morning and one of my friends said that his wife took a Reiki class. And I asked him what that was. And he said, I don't know, but it felt really good. And and she happened to be my yoga instructor. So I called her up and asked her what Reiki was. And she said she'd give me a demonstration. and, And she did. And It was the most, I'd been meditating for a couple of years at that time, and it was the most profound, deep experience that I'd had of just feeling totally blissful and content. And first thing out of my mouth when I got off the table was, I want to die like this. And Mm. I've been blessed to hold a dozen or so people at the time of their transition, and it really is a blessing to go out with somebody holding space for you.
0: Mm.
1: So that's kind of how I transitioned into the world of energy healing. And then again, just because of a dream and certain things that happened to me physically, I discovered Tai Chi and multiple forms of Qigong. And somewhere in there, I woke up one morning and first thing out of my mouth when I looked at my partner was if Hershey's can make kisses I can make chocolate French kisses and (laughs) so I set out on a mission to have a box designed in a custom-made candy mold with a pair of lips and a tongue curled out and um, found somebody to manufacture it for me who, when they saw how I had packaged everything, they upped the price three times to me because they saw it might be really successful. And that sort of forced me into opening my own chocolate shop and learning how to make candy. And it was in that chocolate shop that I got a box of teddy bears delivered to me one day that I did not order And being a CPA and loving a mystery and loving hardy boy books when I was a child, I set out to find out who those bears belonged to. And I did discover, and like other things in my history where I found um, unlawful things (laughs) taking place, um, found out those bears had been smuggled into the country. And anyway, the people, the rightful owners left the bears with me. And I carried one of them in my car as a passenger. And after about two weeks of carrying this bear, I picked it up at a stoplight and said, who are you? And this little bear said, I'm Poet Bear, which made perfect sense to me because I wrote love poetry. I wrote philosophical poetry about things that were happening um, in modern day times And so I packaged that little bear with the little book of my poetry and the day I got it together, set it on the countertop in the candy store to sell. My mom looked at it and said, well, you blew it. That should have been a children's book. And I said, yes, mom, but I don't write for children. That's all love poetry. That's all (laughs) philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) So Anyway, somehow what she said planted a seed and 6 months later I found myself literally just writing a children's story that came out of the blue. No kidding. And then after that they they literally just kept coming.
0: So what sort of what sort of time period are we in? You mentioned you're in your 30s, so at this time. So I'm just curious in terms of you experiencing things like yoga, Reiki, um, tai chi, you know, how far back are we going? Because these things are fair. I mean, they're still kind of, they're not mainstream, but they're much more well known now. So how long ago is this?
1: Late, late 1980s is when I started waking up to meditation. And again, I I never went. <laughs> I didn't go searching to write children's books. I didn't go searching to find Reiki, um, and I didn't go searching for a meditation path either. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that all came about when I took some Valium for a minor operation, and then that night took a pain pill. And as soon as I fell asleep, I was in a dream driving on a mountain road, going around a curve with a passenger. And I remember saying, I can't control it any longer. The next thing I know, my eyes are wide open. There's light coming out of my eyes, playing a movie on my ceiling. And I'm watching them carry our bodies away. You know, the car didn't make it around the curve and I crashed and they were taking our bodies away. And I just thought this was pretty weird. So I closed my eyes and went back to sleep. And the next night I took another pain pill. And had a dream, opened my eyes. And this time coming out the wall across from my bed is a bearded man with an orange stocking cap and some an orange shirt on. He just kept coming in and out of the wall towards me. And I said, okay, this is sufficiently weird enough. I'm a certified public accountant. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I closed my eyes, went back to sleep and didn't take any more pain pills. <laughs> and that was like God kind of awakening me slowly, and nine months later, I found myself laying in bed crying for three days, did not get out of bed, did not eat, did not drink, and my whole life had fallen apart. And I sat there and at the end of the three days and just said, you know, God, I've done everything I thought I should do ever since ever since I could remember. I got good grades. I graduated in the top of my class. I got a great job out into the world. I'm married. I I had a child. And I've been praying. Now I lay me down to sleep ever since my mother taught me. And if you exist, I need to find you. And shortly after that, I got up out of bed, looked at a very skinny body in the mirror and felt Christ behind me saying, I will remake your body in my image. And after that, I called up a friend in Hawaii who the last year when I finished auditing her company, she said, if you ever need a couch to crash on, give me a call. And I needed a couch to crash on. So I called her up and she said, well, I don't have a couch anymore. I bought a house so you can have your own room. And when I arrived, she gave me a book by Dick Sutphen, Past Lives, Future Loves. And I had never heard about past lives in my life. And she said, why don't you read this while I'm at work tomorrow? And I started reading it and I just started crying. And what I was reading was triggering memories, things that my daughter had tried to tell me. You know, she was born in 1977 and brought some amazing experiences into my life and started me questioning things.
0: And how old was she when she started telling you things like this? Um, before she was born. <laughs> I
1: mean, literally, we we picked out the first name, Melanie, and I immediately went to look up what Melanie meant and saw that the root was darkness. And, you know, it's, it sounded like a beautiful name. It's like, darkness? What the heck? <laughs> yeah. And I I just immediately said to myself, you know, no child of mine is going to have the first name of darkness without having light behind it. So picked the middle name Dawn for light. And darkness followed by light is also the meaning of guru, darkness following followed by light. So she she was teaching me unbeknownst to me before she was born. And the moment they separated her from her mom in the hospital she there there was this red orange golden glow just emitting from her entire body and flowing up in a tunnel out the ceiling and i'd never seen anything like that before
0: wow and i said
1: something far more profound than the birth of my daughter's taking place and and she and she has been my teacher <laughs> ever since in in many ways um. I remember when she was about two and a half, she was in the back seat of the car and we were going somewhere and she started to describe where we were going. And I'm sitting there driving the car saying, this is not possible. She's never been there. So I just started searching, searching my memory banks and realized that the only time she had been there was when she was in the womb. And she hmm. was describing it perfectly. So that got me questioning, you know, when are we conscious? W- when When do we start to know? Hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that was the start. That was the start of it. And it continued on afterwards.
0: That's incredible. Have you read um, the work of Ian Stevenson, Dr. Ian Stevenson?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Or Dr. Jim Tucker. I think that's his name. Uh, They've done, they're out of the University of Virginia, but they've spent decades um, studying children's past life memories. Ah. And a lot of it is kind of in the, you know, more Asian subcontinent sort of territory where this is more accepted culturally. There are some stories from the West, but, you know, much of it is coming more from like India, Thailand, Sri Lanka, that kind of area. Um, but some really, really incredible accounts. I think you'd really enjoy diving into their work. It's very, because they have a very scientific approach as well. So Mm -hmm. they're very into the scientific method and trying to kind of tease out like, you know, how could this be? Is there any other explanation? Um, and sometimes they, you know, find some something, it could be this link, you know, but the most logical explanation is that they're tapping into something outside of their physical being, but yeah, that's do, remarkable. You, do you re- in,
1: in, in reading their works, do you remember them correlating anything with the birthing practices of those children in the Eastern countries versus those in the Western countries?
0: No, I haven't. I, I don't remember any, any tie uh, to that.
1: Okay. Cause I know we, we, you know, for the most part, we so traumatize children when they're born that yeah. a lot of that recognition that they're coming in with gets traumatized right out of them instantly. So yeah. I'm just wondering if they had looked at that aspect of it.
0: Not in the things that I've read that have been published, mm-hmm. but, but, very possibly in in other or other work. I haven't really looked at their their stuff for about probably ten or more years. So, um, but there's a whole there's a whole like paranormal kind of study branch of study at the University of Virginia. so they've they may have looked into things like that. I'm not sure. But that's really fascinating. So all of that with your daughter was happening. It sounds like maybe pre-awakening even
1: De- definitely pre-awakening. All all of that was before I ever started meditating.
0: Okay. That's phenomenal. I mean, you really seem to be part of what I might I'm I'm listening to Dolores Cannon book right now. I don't know if you've tapped into her at all. She's done a lot of quantum hypnosis and she talks about different waves of volunteers who have come here to assist humanity and the planet mm. and you very much sound like a first wave, you know, like helping to uh, kind of set the platform for, because, you know, more and more, it's like more and more and more people can relate to what you're talking about, but you were really quite a pioneer, considering the time that all of this was happening. I'm sure I'm guessing it was kind of difficult to find a community or, people who understood what was happening to you?
1: Um, well, the communities I found were quite wonderful. But yeah, as far as the people that were in my life at the time that I started to experience these new things, um, quite a few of them fell away fairly quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, my brother gave me the greatest compliment one day. He said, you know, after I was meditating for about six years, he said, you know what? I still don't believe in a thing you're doing, but you sure have become a much nicer person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. I uh, love that transformation, you know, and the val- the it's interesting the validation we get from people who are not in the same place that we're at, you know, who are much more mainstream. And um, there's a different perspective that has... A lot of value too. Yes. So let's uh, let's talk about the power of children's books in terms of children and parents. So, um, what I know you mentioned the origin of your children's books, but what power have you found in in this type of medium and helping children and parents?
1: Well, one of the things that I discovered was that. Our ability as humans to create internal images is one of the highest achievements we have. And our ability to create those images and our imagination is really the foundation on which our lives are built. So children that have more creativity, more imagination, they resort to violence less. They succeed more. and Albert Ein- somebody once asked Albert Einstein, there was a mom whose child wanted to be a scientist, so she said, "You know what what should I do to help him?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Albert Einstein said, "Read him fairy tales." If you want him to be brilliant, read him fairy tales. If you want him to be more brilliant, tell him even more fairy tales." And Mm -hmm. brilliance has nothing to do with what we choose to do. Brilliance is whether we're a brilliant athlete, a brilliant musician, or whatever. And what one of the things fairy tales do is they stimulate those internal images. And when I discovered that, I decided that the majority of my books would not have illustrations on the inside that they would have beautiful outer covers. But I wanted the children to create their own internal images without seeing what an adult had determined should be on a page. Mm -hmm. Um, And that also allows an interaction with the parents because the parents can ask the children, what are you seeing? What do these words mean? And so, Instead of just reading a story from cover to cover and looking at the pretty pictures, you can actually create dialogues and take your time going through the stories and mm-hmm. and you know, create a bonding between the reader and the listener that is much stronger than if you're just looking at pictures and reading.
0: That's fascinating because it, it brings to mind the fact that uh, the movie recreations of books are so often disappointing you know, where you, you read the book first and then you watch the movie and it's, it's good, you know, it might be good, but it's like, Uh it never is, it never seems to be quite as good as reading it. And I wonder how much of that is just because of the limitations of the physical versus your imagination, which can go, you know, in a, in a lot more direction. Then once right, it's kind that, of grounded into that physical. Yeah, as you're
1: saying that I I don't think our I don't think our brains, our minds, are built to handle the fast, rapid input of movies. So as we're listening to a story, you know, it gives our brains and our minds a chance to imagine. But mm-hmm. when we're exposed to a movie, everything's happening so fast, and you just have to keep up with what's there. There's really no time to create on yourself other than to get stimulated emotionally.
0: Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, the, it also brings to mind the role of the imagination outside of books, like, for example, in meditation. You know, it's one of the things that I often um, encourage my students is to use your imagination because so often when we're meditating, Things may float in and then we we shut it down because it's like, oh, I, that must be my imagination or, you know, I'm losing focus and I'm, you know, whatever it is, but we kind of try to fit what's happening in meditation inside the box of what our physical reality is. And we reject a lot of things that come through as imagination. And then we're saying like, imagination is bad. You know, I want to have a real experience in my meditation, (laughs) but those lines are so blurred. You know, our imagination is this gateway that helps us to have these more expansive experiences. So, um, I don't know if that triggers anything for you, but the role of the imagination is, is really powerful in a lot of aspects of our lives.
1: Yeah. It's like when, um, in those deeper states of meditation, we can plant seeds mm-hmm. and see things that we don't or- normally see with our conscious minds. So, you know, it is a matter of learning to be aware of what might be coming in that really is guided versus what our own subconscious may be creating. Mm-hmm. But Yes, I mean, I I get so many, without asking, I get so much information in meditation. Yeah. And and I don't ask. I do not use my meditation periods to ask for anything. I literally Mm -hmm. just use them to connect with God and to enjoy. In fact, this morning, (laughs) it's so funny, I've, I've been meditating every day for over 40 years, and For 15 of those years, I meditated four hours a day.
0: Wow.
1: And I still get these aha moments. And so when I'm meditating today, it just, all I can say is it feels so delicious. It's like the most delicious experience running through my body. And I realized that I stopped appreciating it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like it's become common to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so then I just started, said, oh, wow. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to really move into these feelings. You know, it's like, yeah, they're wonderful, but I'm going to really appreciate that they're so wonderful. And then they just heightened even more. Mm. So even after 40 some years of meditation, it's like, it's wonderful to get these aha moments. And it's like, wow, it's just appreciating what I'm experiencing instead of looking at it as, oh, well, this is just normal. And yeah, like you mentioned earlier, it's like I'm kind of like waiting for the next big (laughs) explosion.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh. that's so true. I mean, we do get used to these states, and um, and they they are special. You know, it's 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 a dichotomy, I guess. You know, it's such a blessing for them to be normalized but then yes. <laughs> we kind of have to step back and realize the beauty of what that is you know it's kind of like if you finally relieve suffering from yourself like long standing suffering that plagued you for years and then that becomes normal again you know you start to feel that equilibrium but it just it just becomes normal and so that stepping back to be like wow I'm out of suffering, <laughs> you know, it can be hard to step back and remember that and appreciate it.
1: Yeah, so that, that kind of this morning taught me, yeah, just keep appreciating every moment more and more and exactly yeah. what's happening in the moment, not just the blissfulness of meditation, but, you know, really what's happening
0: in each moment. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So this has been Beautiful and rich, and you've got such an amazing um, fullness of of information and just of energy, and <laughs> the <laughs> transmission is, is really powerful. Um, how can people find out more about you and connect with you?
1: Uh, my website is TimothyStutz, S-T-U-E-T-Z dot com. And if they go up into the menu item, there's a menu item called freebies. And I have a lot of wonderful free meditations. In fact, the most powerful meditations that I've experienced in my life are there as freebies. And Mm -hmm. there's a couple of fairy tales for children and some songs for children. A couple of Qigong practices that I have used every day since I discovered them. And that they will transform your life very simply and easily.
0: That's amazing. Wow.
1: I know. I know. I remember one of the meditations I was taught by my Tai Chi first Tai Chi instructor, and he said he was walking in this, you know, really old little bookshop in San Francisco area. And, you know, one of these places you imagine with just books falling off the shelves everywhere <laughs> and nothing dusted for decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, he said he walked by this one section and this book just jumped out at him, and it contained a meditation that Zen Master Hakuen had used to heal. He started out to heal a physical ailment that no doctor was able to cure, and he was it was suggested that he go visit this monk that was lived in a cave. And so he went there and he was given this meditation that's you know, four Japanese koans, cones, however you pronounce that. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a refrain and four different lines, and you literally just lay down and repeat these lines. Mm-hmm. And I did that every day for six months after I learned it. And then one night I decided, well, since this master became met, be, he became a fully realized being simply by repeating these lines, I'm going to stay awake all night until something magical happens. <laughs> I'm just going to keep repeating these phrases over and over. And I don't know how many repetitions it took, but suddenly my body just filled up Every cell was a thousand suns, and I could hear things that were going on across the street, and it was so powerful. And every, every night, ever ever since then, I've only used that meditation when I need a really breakthrough if I can't get through something. Because ever since I had that night, I fall asleep within 10 seconds of going to sleep at night. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. I just, I just lay down and I'm gone. And literally you can, you can try to, you could set off a bomb next to the bed and I would not hear it for the first hour after I fall asleep.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: I, I know those things that I'm sharing work.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I can only imagine the, the <clears throat> pathways. That have been created through those experiences, the connections, and you know, within the body, within the the brain and the nervous system, um, and and the transformation, the long term transformation that that enables. It it does incredible. It's,
1: it's, when you, as you say that, I'm I'm recalling when I learned sun gazing. It was a it, I learned it from somebody who said you just gaze 10 seconds and add 10 seconds a day until you get to 44 minutes. And at
0: about at certain times of day, I'm guessing. uh, One hour
1: after the sun rises and one hour before it sets is what's considered the safe zone. Okay. And he said, you can only add 10 seconds if you actually get to see the sun without clouds. (laughs) And so it took me a year to get to the full 44 minutes, but On two consecutive days at about the 33-minute mark, my body became a nuclear reactor the entire time I was sun gazing. I mean, that's all I can describe. And I knew the RNA, DNA, every aspect of my being was being transformed.
0: Wow.
1: And all I had to do was sit there and keep my eyes open and watch the sun.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, what that does just generally like looking at the center or looking at a flame I found, but how it affects your pineal gland and then, you know, what you, it just seems to change um, and activate that pineal gland in a really amazing way. It does. Re- I mean, I know you had a, a, <laughs> a stronger experience even than that, but um, that's incredible. Oh wow. no, I've, I've, I've candle, I've flamed gaze, candle gaze
1: many times in meditation, and it is just very, very magical. There's, there wow. is something about the power of a flame, and I, yeah. I was actually at the time right after I became a Reiki master, I was contemplating what the difference between Reiki initiations were and the initiations that enlightened beings gave their students and happened to be at a meditation retreat shortly after that and was in a temple and I went in to meditate and there's a statue of Murti of Bhagwan nichananda which is a city yoga path and when I went in I was the only person in there meditating and It was late afternoon, and at five o'clock every night, they have a program. So I had been meditating for a couple of hours, and then I hear in my inner voice, when you open your eyes, there'll be somebody bowing before me, and there'll be people sitting on both sides of you. I mean, I was so deep in meditation, I had no idea the time had flown. So I opened my eyes, and yeah, the room was full. There was somebody bowing before this statue. And a flame went from his heart into their heart and then went into every heart around the room.
0: Wow.
1: And as it did this, I, I heard every human heart is a flame of love burning to go home to God. Siddha Yoga fans the flame, Reiki fans the flame, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, flames are. Dear to me, and I can tell they're dear to you, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Well, thank you so much. This has been just really, really powerful. I mean, the the words that you've said have been really powerful, but just in between the words and and behind the words and through the words, Mm. it's, you know uh so much, so much more than what you're saying. Um, you really have a true gift of transmitting uh, that that really strong vibration
1: through mm-hmm. your
0: communication. So, so thank you so much. It's been really an honor and a joy to have you here today. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you for recognizing that. And thank you for sharing that. And it's my pleasure to be with you. And may everyone just do one thing. Just keep meditating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it opens said. up all kinds of worlds. <laughs> well said. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Timothy.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.